just ahead on Black Issues Forum, DEI and racial equity in education leads us to talk about how important African-centered learning is and how hip hop impacts learning. Stay with us. Welcome to Black Issues Forum. I am Kenya Thompson. DEI has been a buzz term for many years now, and as we watch our society emerge into a space where companies and organizations are held accountable for their actions, many really challenge claims of diversity and inclusion, requiring those that wear the badge to do more than just check the box. But where do we stand with this effort when it comes to our educational experiences? To help answer that question, we welcome to the show Dr. Nani Davis, founder and director of St. Sia Academy. Leonardo Williams, Durham City Council member of Ward 3, and Stephanie Reed, founder, director of Aspire to Hire and Personal and Professional Development, Inc. Welcome to the show. Stephanie, I want to start off with you. In terms of education, what does diversity look like? In, in education, I think that diversity really requires two things, support and care and giving knowledge to the students in the classroom as well as outside of the classroom. But in my experience, I've also learned that diversity, equity, and inclusion work in education also means caring for colleagues, ensuring that policies that are written are equitable, um, ensuring that our hiring practices are also equitable, um, particularly for racial equity, but also other forms of diversity. So there's a lot of um, management of the diversity that education already has um, that, that makes up the work of DEI in education. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Noni, when we talk about stereotypes and mis misconceptions in the classroom, I know that a lot... I've had the experience of my students going or my kids going through um, mislabeling. What do those opportunities look like for acceptance in the classroom when we talk about DEI and inclusion? Well, um, it's culturally responsive instruction for me or culturally responsive uh, environment where our students are seen as individuals. Um, there's an acknowledgement of that, that there are cultural differences, cul differences in approaches to learning, differences in um, expectations. And, um, but there is a broad range here. You've got multiple, uh, multiple learning styles. And unfortunately in the classroom, a lot of these, you know, we are taught these in advanced education. You get, you know, in your master's degree programs in your, um, let's see, your, at doctoral programs, but the actual implementation of these uh, these concepts is is lacking in the classroom. So I believe that children, I mean, uh, teachers need to be more uh, uh, determined to implement uh, diverse learning. I mean, uh, stratified learning, um, embracing the cultural differences of the children, celebrating those differences in the classroom and, and not make, you know, not creating this hierarchy in education, but making sure that you're teaching to students across the board mm -hmm. versus the stratified, um, learning that we have um, in the classroom that's pervasive right now. Yeah. And Leonardo, I know that you are currently a council member, but in your past life, you were a principal, correct? 
and, and I, I, I know that there are responsibilities that teachers have to uphold racial equity in the classroom. How did you make sure that that was something that happened throughout the board at the school that you were a principal? Well, good morning, Kenya. Thank you for having us. Um, and, you know, the, you know, Dr. Nani hit it right on the head, differentiated teaching and learning, being culturally responsive. That is, it can't, it can't be just a commodity. It can't just be a thing. It has to be a culture in which we live. It has to be a culture in which we actually instruct, you know, and that is the most, um, most sensitive part, you know, transaction that happens in the building, that transaction between teaching and learning, you know, educator and educatee, you know, uh, student. Uh, so that was what I lived every day. And it starts from the top and it starts from the bottom and you have to meet in the middle to just explode that culture. Uh, so, you know, and, and that's not just in the classroom or in the school building, that's everywhere. You know, I actually live that on the council right now you know, and appreciate the multiple, you know, diverse perspectives. Mm -hmm. For sure, you know, there's, there's a need that we have to understand that our students require from us, even though they don't know how to label it, what to call it. Um, Stephanie, when we talk about including that in the classroom and the expectations the students have, how do we set that expectation and meet it, especially with what you do with Aspire to Hire? Absolutely, Kenya. I think, um, the point has already been made that there has to be culturally relevant context and text in the in the classroom, but those expectations have to be set by administrators. Those expectations have to be set and met during the hiring process and then throughout the life cycle of the employee, right? And this, this is also relevant in corporate and in education. Um, if there are no performative measures um, or performance measures, I should say, to prevent performative measures, um, that people are held accountable uh, for ensuring that they practice culturally relevant um, pedagogy, that they um, acquire cultural competence in and outside of the classroom, because really relationship is also a piece of this that um, we have to talk about as well. If teachers and educators of all type don't care for the students, it's, it's going to feel artificial to the students. It will be inauthentic. So there has to be, I think, a balance between the um, expectations set by admins, but also for this, the care um, and understanding and empathy that is provided to the students. Mm -hmm. Indeed. And, you know, Dr. Noni, I know with St. Sia, some of the challenges are finding community support. You know, I think a lot of times mm -hmm. when we work to um, really push forward DEI and racial equity efforts, we sometimes go a, a less threatening route, right? And they're called whitening methods for acceptance within our community. Um, talk to us about how detrimental that can be to the true efforts around creating space for our students. Well, um, I'm gonna give a quick example. It was to me that was hilarious. Um, I had my students read A Raising in the Sun um, last year, at the end of the year, my high schoolers. And when we came to the scene where Benita had cut her hair and was wearing Afro and the, the commentary in the book was like, she looked like a monkey, da, da, da. My students were like, what? Because everyone in the classroom had their hair in a natural, you know, Afro locks, you know, um, uh, braid. So we've come a long way because our children cannot do not necessarily identify with this idea that my hair has to be permed or I have to change my look to accommodate uh, someone else or to validate myself. So 
but we still have the work to do, in my opinion, in the curriculum. Um, you know, when you, um, we have to move away from this, this idea that European culture was the framework for which we all operate. Um, those were the explorers. Those are the people who discovered places. Those are the people who uh, created science. Those are the people who developed language. Those are the people, you know, we just have to get away from that. And that's how you, and, and, and then make sure we have, I have made it my uh, life purpose to study and to show myself approved, which is the name of the St. C Academy, right? Study to show yourself approved. So my children know African explorers. They are aware that Asian uh, Chinese people were also exploring uh, across the ocean, that my students uh, understand that there was, uh, it, trading that was occurring in the Indian Ocean, the Atlantic Ocean, uh, across the Pacific Islanders were also uh, traveling. Uh -huh. And, you know, then when we come to um, literature, my students last week for their um, social studies class uh, were introduced to the Ebo script. We were also introduced, I had them introduced to the Medunetar, which is the higher, Egyptian hieroglyphs. So they learn how to write their names in these letters, uh, the Mende script. So they understand yeah. that we had our own writing systems. Um, there's there's a lot science. that they go through. You know, I, I know yeah. from firsthand experience because my kids, <laughs> they, they are a couple <laughs> years students. And so I understand there's a lot that they go through to, to uh, in, yes educate themselves on, on their true history, their true history. Their true history. Yes. yes. Mm -hmm. There aren't many K through 12 schools that lead with culture, but we are lucky enough to have one right here in the triangle. St. Sia Academy is an African-centered academic experience that creates a nurturing environment for students of African descent based out of Durham, North Carolina. Their objectives is to promote self-knowledge and a purposeful life, intellectual stimulation, and high academic achievement, as well as a commitment to social justice for the worldwide community of tomorrow. We're fortunate to have St. Sia's founder Dr. Nani here with us today. Question to you, Dr. Nani, tell us about St. Sia and what inspired you to create this space? Um, so 20, oh no, not 25 years, I guess. My mother worked for 25 years in the public school system. Uh, she taught at Easton and she taught at EKPO and her experiences there were, you know, completely different. You know, Easton is in the middle of a, a uh, African-American community that it would be considered a depressed community, where an Ike Po was a uh, Duke community. And so she was just alarmed by the extreme differences uh, in the communities, uh, the amount of money that was invested, but she was also alarmed at the, um, the differences in the way the students were treated. And so in her frustration, she retired early and one of her, um, her, uh, uh, heroes was Mary McLeod Bethune, and she said, "If Mary could do it, I could do it." <laughs> and so, Saint Sia, uh, I was also homeschooling my children, and she saw how effective I was. And so she said, "You know what? Let's combine our skill, our talents here, our um, our uh, resources, our you know, um, and our our gifts here, and make and create this space." And so we started with seven students. Uh, Three of them were mine <laughs> and we built. So in 1996, we started here and um, now my daughter teaches. So we have three generations mm -hmm. of uh, educators um, 
and my daughter-in-law too. And then my grandchildren are here. So that's four generations yeah. of, of uh, families, uh, of my family who are involved in this space. But it was for our children. We were out of frustration for how they were being treated in the public school system. Yeah. And we knew we could do it because our ancestors had done it have done it already. So. Indeed, indeed. And it's mm -hmm. a beautiful solution. Leonardo, as a council member, how is racial justice part of the landscape objectives um, of objectives in North Carolina? Yeah, so that, that's a very deep question because <laughs> we live the result of it every single day. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I'll use transportation, for example. Uh, we're looking at, you know, some transit across our region because it's time for us to start functioning as a region with the job growth. Um, but however, the most expensive part of that, that transit uh, line is in Durham. And even within Durham, you know, you look at the great separation, which is like, you know, where the train crosses a, a street. Um, in West Durham, they're really nice. In East Durham, they're dilapidated. Um, and if you break that down to the communities, well, the Western side of Durham is a lot more, um, uh, white, uh, whereas the east side of Durham is a lot more black and Hispanic. And uh, that is just, that is transportation. That's just one policy. Imagine how crime uh, comes about. Imagine how the poverty comes about. And imagine how, you know, a crime and poverty reflect behavior in our schools. Oh, wow, look where our schools are. When I was teacher of the year in Durham, I was selected to be on the committee to select the next teacher of the year. And I went across the county and one school I went in, in the northern part of Durham had carpet floors, carpeted floors. Every kid had a computer and there were about five parents that were volunteering in the classroom. And the carpool long was, line was extremely long. When I went on the east side of Durham, um, there were buckets in the hallway, uh, water dripping. You know, the school was dilapidated. And I was like, you'd be, hard, it's, you'd be surprised that you're in the same county. Uh, our school mm -hmm. system fixed that they did, yeah. but those are some of the those are some of the things we have to be conscious of on a daily basis. And if not, it'll continue to be business as usual. Right. So we're really conscious of you know just making sure that we're equitable in all of our resources. Mm -hmm. That is racial justice. Yeah, and and that's good to know that. The, the state's aware of that, government's aware, because you do see stark differences in these schools. Stephanie, we find that students perform based off of how their environment is, right? And so when we're talking about what Leonardo mentioned, about the differences in, in the schools across the track, um, what does that do to their understanding of their culture and their acceptance of culture? Well, I'm, I'm glad you asked that question because people, I think, take for granted from the youngest of our students all the way through to our oldest students who are in college and graduate um, education, they need to be affirmed in their experiences. And that affirmation doesn't have to only exist in the classroom. It should exist in the environment in which they live and learn. Uh, and they need to be able to see collaborative um, efforts. I love the fact that you have a city council member um, on this um, show today. I love the fact that you have an Afro 
African-centered educator. Uh, we are all part of a larger community and students have to see us. We have to model for students what we are also attempting to teach them. Um, and we also, uh, one thing I, I really want to make sure I share is that it's important for all of us um, at whatever angle we enter into education that we understand that students are not entering the educational system as empty vessels. They too hold knowledge. Um, whether that knowledge comes from their parents, whether it comes from the street, if they're, you know, those um, who are not necessarily in the same, in the, in a, you know, double parent home or they're in an urban environment and they're, they're outdoors more. Um, I think I'm hearkening back to my, um, um, <laughs> my childhood where we used to spend a lot of time outside. Or if they're gamers, right? These children have knowledge and we are supposed to facilitate education with them and not assume that we are the holders of knowledge and we're only giving them um, information. We should all be sharing information. So th they need to see us um, do that as community members, as educators, as clergy in the community, all of us have to demonstrate what that looks like for our students so that they know how to do it yeah. and they understand what it feels to be affirmed in their education. Indeed. Indeed, Dr. Noni, about 45 seconds here left on this topic, but you shared some of the activities that you guys do to, to bring awareness to our students reading certain books. Talk about some other activities that support African-centered learning and, and seeing themselves in education? Well, we um, uh, engage in rites of passage. So every third uh, Friday, our students um, have uh, are led through a rites of passage uh, uh, session with the girls are separated from the boys and, you know, just to um, have conversations and uh, do our activities that reinforce uh, the, a strong identity or sense of, you know, of who they are. We have John Canoe, which is a, uh, at Stagville, which we participate in, which is re um, addressing history, well, a historical reenactment of what happened during the, the 1800s, out the, the early 1800s during enslavement. We, um, also have uh, Sankofa Journeys. We hopefully we will be able to do that this year, where we have the children. We do 50, we get a rent a 55 passenger bus and take the children to um, like this year to Wilmington, where we will explore African American history in that location. Yeah. Um, we also have theatrical productions at the end of the school year. Uh, we have Africa Day in you October. You could go on and on, have, really. Yes, a lot. <laughs> There's so much All that right, you guys so do. <laughs> yeah, no, there's so much. And I wish we had more time to talk about all the activities, but yes. there are so much that you guys do. And, and I know that music is a big part of that. And when yes. we talk about hip hop pedagogy, it really is a thing. Research has found that hip hop has the potential to connect students to important subjects they might otherwise dismiss. It's an innovative approach, but ends up providing another method of connection for students. Stephanie, at Aspire to Hire, you guys have done a really good job with incorporating music, hip hop in particular, with academics. Tell us, what does that do for students? Um, I, I think it does wonders for students, but I, I, more importantly, I think what it does is provide exposure. Um, and when we talk about hip hop in affirming ways, as opposed to talking about hip hop on the margins of society, like it's not part of American culture, we are affirming that hip hop provides things to our students. It's not something that's taking from them. Um, so hip hop in and of itself is a culture. So if we approach it as a form of study, like an anthropologist would, 
would, mm -hmm. we could break it down to students in that way. At Aspire to Hire, for instance, um, we host a monthly podcast called Hip Hop is Higher Ed, because I find that hip hop doesn't, doesn't act as a vehicle for education. Hip hop is education. Um, in hip hop music, artists are providing stories, um, talking about experiences, and they are giving knowledge to others, but it also provides a form of self-empowerment. I, I talk to students all the time about how they identify as hip hop heads. Um, I also try to expose people, not just students, but everyone through my podcasting and through um, community programs like a hip hop symposium I've been planning, um, that hip hop is um, also now a form of a way that people make a living. So it is a career um, and it is there are there is professionalism, scholarship and brilliance in hip hop. So I think hip hop plays a major role in the formative years of our students, but also as they become young adults as well. Indeed. And music is therapy, right? And when we talk about how we used to, our ancestors used to gather and play music, that, that was a form of communication and therapy. Um, Leonardo, I know that you were a former band director. You know, you are a man of many hats, apparently. Um, I used to also, I used to play in the band. I used to be in orchestra. And I know the value in musical education. What are your thoughts on the impact that hip hop can have on black students' education? You know, I, I shout out to NCCU for formalizing hip hop as an actual class and, uh, you know, a content, you know, context worth studying uh, with Ninth Wonder. Uh, we have to meet our students where they are. And if I'm being at all honest, I know education. I do know education very well. Our education curriculum in our schools, the way we do school is outdated um, to the growth and current day uh, intellectual status of our, of our students. Um, so we have to start there. We have to start with recognizing that. Uh, and, you know, as I used to tell my students, you know, Jay-Z said, go further, go farther. That, is that not why we're here? If not, then go harder. You know, we have to be diligent, you know, as educators. And um, our students have a lot to offer us because hip hop is just simply poetry explaining the, the livelihood and experiences on a daily basis that our kids go through. And they're going through a lot on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And we should be able to listen to that, formalize that into an instruction. Indeed, we could have a whole show on hip hop's impact on culture for Absolutely. sure. <laughs> for sure. Dr. Noni, I know that my kids personally, they enjoy the musical component at State Sia so much. It's probably what I hear about the most. Tell us about the meaning behind learning African music and rhythms and what did this what did this music mean to our ancestors? Well, we know that as you stated earlier, that they used it for communication purposes. Uh, they use it as celebration. Um, they used it uh, to remember and to mourn their uh, the losses. They used it to welcome people. You know, uh, uh, the songs that we teach during the John Canoe are um, African songs that with the you know Yoruba songs, traditional of of um, uh, traditional songs that. You can see the connection between the hip hop and the jazz and uh, just the, you know, uh, the creative genius of African people, the, uh, the creative genius. I took drumming and that's when I realized the swing of 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 the music with uh, when we're all sitting together playing the the uh, the dundunes and the uh, djembes together. So there you 
it just moves you. And we even we meditate in the morning to all sorts of genres of music uh, with this with the students. But uh Hip hop is just an extension of our jazz, of our blues, of our rhythm, uh, of our ragtime, of uh, slave songs, uh, uh, you know, um, and then the rhythms of Africa. It's just the it's the newest, the latest thing that we have going on. Unfortunately, I don't know about some of the stuff that we have right now, but we know that this is our most recent genre. I mean, a genre of ex exceptional creativity. And so we uh, here we play play the African drums, but the children are uh, create their own rhythms as well Indeed. as we go through our meditation in the morning, mm -hmm. a harambe. Yeah, and it's a beautiful thing to hear, uh, Stephanie. You know, I think part of our responsibility is is also changing the narrative around what others interpret our music to be, right? And so, yeah. talk to us about how how you help with that effort. Absolutely. I I have taken it upon myself, don't ask me why, but to, 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 to use that as a mission in my work. Um, I find that people tend to disregard hip hop culturally, um, musically, um, even scientifically. Uh, in order to produce some of the music, you must be a sound engineer. Mm. Um, and in order to be a sound engineer, you must be at the base an engineer. Um, so there is a lot of value that hip hop provides. Are we challenged by some of what we see being propped up in the media around hip hop? Yes. But that is why I then um, think that with Aspire to Hire, um, I try to create uh, the 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 spaces like hip hop symposiums. A symposium um, was originally, to my knowledge, held as, as a conference, a professional conference that people would hold, like doctors and scientists, to talk about the work that they're doing, the research. We can do the same thing within hip hop. Um, hip hop provides us the same platform. Um, so we can discuss social issues, we can discuss science, we can discuss politics, Indeed. and we do. So that's what I do with Aspire to Hire through the podcast and through the hip hop symposium. Indeed. And thank you all for your work so much. Stephanie Reed, Dr. Nani Davis, and Leonardo Williams, thank you for being with us today. Thank you for having us. I want to thank today's guests for joining us. We invite you to engage with us on Twitter or Instagram using the hashtag Black Issues Forum. You can also find our full episodes on pbsnc.org slash Black Issues Forum or listen at any time on Apple iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. For Black Issues Forum, I'm Kenya Thompson. Thank you for watching. of viewers like you who invite you to join them in supporting PBSNC.